Okay, let's go. We got people who are busy. We have we have people who need to get back to uh, making sure everybody's environments are are properly tuned and available. What do you think, Brent? <laughs> Absolutely. I think we should just dig, dig into it and get going. We've been trying to have you on for a while. Yeah. And, uh, we're we're very excited to dig into this topic and learn about you and, and the industry as a whole. Awesome. Yeah. So, so Brian, why don't you kick us off, man? I got. I got. So this one's near and dear to my heart. So, um, you know, the the goal of the show is to kind of you know, uncover the world of alerting and monitoring. And frankly, there's going to be more than that, but that's kind of where we're going to start. It's the tip of the iceberg. Icebergs are big, you know? Um, and so it's, you know, how's it evolved, right? Like when, where it's come from, from an alerting and reporting perspective versus where it is now as architectures are evolving and things like that. And so as customer demands grow, what are these offerings? What are they like? And so we brought on a, you know, a foremost expert, you know, a, you know, company that's really very well known in this. And so, uh, you know, by the way, uh, we really didn't do our thing, right? So, you know, <laughs> for those people who have actually listened to the podcast more than once, we normally go, you know, welcome to the hot aisle and, uh, and do the intro after, right? But uh, uh, I am Brian Carpenter and with me, Brent Piatti, good morning. Yeah, we really like to shake it up. We like to be different every time. You know, inconsistency is our consistency. We are absolutely. Uh, yeah, as as continuous uh, improvement. Yes, or uh, hopefully <laughs> or, it's improvement. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the sixty or seventieth show for the first time for the seventieth time. Right, every time is different. So, anyways, we brought a great guest with us, and uh, hopefully, I do this well. We've got Tim Armanpour. Did I do it? Did I say it right? That's correct. We normally check this. So, Tim, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely, I'm super excited to be here with you guys. Awesome. So, Tim, uh, you know, based on Brent's cyber stalking, uh, we've got you as the senior vice president of product development at PagerDuty. Correct. So, let's just go with this. Tell us exactly what that entails and kind of what what's pa PagerDuty's um, you know charter today. Sure. Um, so, for the role itself, it's the it's I like to think of it as the single neck to choke in the company when it comes to all things related to the product side of the house. Uh, along with uh, technology, so I get the, the the privilege to be able to head up uh, both both arms. Uh, and for a company like Page, it tends to make a lot of sense given the type of uh, product we do offer, and also to the to the folks that we're ch typically talking to through our product. Um, I've been there about two and a half years and started as the VP of Eng, and uh, about a little over a year ago, we decided to combine both product and engineering together. Awesome, and. PagerDuty is near and dear to my heart. That's you know why you're here. So when I was in operations, uh, yeah. one of my one of my favorite employees at the time is you know still good friend. Uh, you know basically he texted me and he was like, um, check this out, and he sent me a link to PagerDuty. And at the time this was I went back and checked Crunchbase, and this looked like it was basically maybe a year or so after PagerDuty was announced. I think he probably saw it oh, on, wow. like, on like Slashdot or something like that. Probably yeah. yeah. And at the time, it was literally just kind of like up-down alerting, right? But it was a yep. nice way. One of the problems we had was most of our on-prem uh, alerting. Obviously, if you have some sort of WAN circuit issue, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, you know, we were doing everything with as few people as possible, like most people do. We had to find a way to have somebody outside, like that third shift, right? Like we didn't have three right. shifts; so we were eight to five, and then a lot of alert, emergency alerting. Pager yep. duty really kind of revolutionized our ability to keep track of our business. And uh, so much so that, like, it's really funny. As I got further up in my career there, my wife was able to see texts that would come in, and she would know if it came from something like uh, either Pingdom uh, oh, or boy. if it came from uh, Nagios. That was mm -hmm. like one level of like emergency. If it came from Pager Duty, that was like you know interrupt everything, right? right. So, because right. that meant something was going down. Um, so yeah, you, this is uh, close to me. I can't wait to see how things have evolved. So that's, that's uh, enough about me. Let's talk about <laughs> you again. I'm sorry. Um, so one of the things is, you know, I, I, we found that you have four patents. Yep. And so you, I want to talk about that. You know, I, um, I, I was involved with one patent and, um, you know, it was really, really interesting process and a lot of things went on. Um, tell us about the patent process. Were these things from PagerDuty? Are they from a previous life? They're... Uh, Sure. Yeah. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, the, the, the four patents, they're from a company, uh, first company I worked at at a school called Yodley, which I'm not sure if many people had heard of, but uh, back in uh, the summer of 99, uh, a couple of ex-Microsoft folks had a crazy idea to initially be able to ultimately uh, aggregate all kinds of data on the web and uh, put it in one place. So 
ultimately we thought we were going to become uh, uh, almost like a almost like a consumer portal, similar like what Yahoo Finance back in the day was starting to morph as in Yahoo as a whole, but for financial data. So uh, you know your four hundred one k's in one spot, your bank account in another. You've got uh, you know um, other investment data somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera. But you're in like three, four, five different places. Why not have it in one view? And we thought that would be a nice convenience to have. Ultimately, we shifted into becoming a almost like a more like a B two B player, where we end up white labeling solutions, selling into card companies, um, uh, banks, brokerages, et cetera. So nowadays, a lot of times, if if you were to log in, let's say your B of A account or your Fidelity account, and see a uh, my snapshot view, that's that's a view that Yildi was selling with all this other aggregated info from different places so you could see everything. And then that allowed the banks and brokers, card companies to send you other offers, say, hey, you should bring more money over here, right? Because now they could finally see your whole picture. And um, what we were doing at the time is we were ultimately in the business of, one, automating how data was gathered across the web. And uh, given that we were a small startup, just got A-round funding from Sequoia and Excel, and back then, an A round was twenty-five to thirty million bucks because we had to get up at, at Exodus and Savas now to get uh, servers up and running on our own. Um, we were we we didn't have dedicated proprietary data feeds into these companies, so we started scraping the web. So we built basically an automated browser and uh, built our own bot language, our own bot framework that uh, ma mapped from a given bot would be, let's say, something that was mainly tasked with learning how WellsFargo.com works and where your info is and with your permission we would then take your username and password store it securely use that to log in and scrape your data and then bring it back home normalize it so that we basically had our own taxonomy for what financial data looked like and uh, some of the early pens had to do with one gathering information on the web and then uh, quite a bit have to do with uh, the, the normalization behind the scenes you know so you know of all the things that you did there obviously a lot of those are patented that sounds a lot like credit karma in certain cases. Like, do you sit there and go, hey, you know, I should go back and check and see if they're infringing or not? Well, it, it, we, um, you know, while Yoli was was through the years when I was there for the first seven years, um, there there was a lot of I want to say either opportunities for for us to go on on the offense in a way. But then we thought that would be bad bad mojo and bad juju as we were trying to get closer and closer to to banks and card companies and get more on the inside and get more uh, more dedicated feeds and dedicated pipes built with them. Yeah. So you can't, don't don't try to lock them in essentially because otherwise they probably wouldn't like it much. I, ideally, no. And they were a lot bigger than us, and they could probably push a lot harder. Yeah, makes um, sense. Uh, the process itself, though, just to talk about that a little bit. It was in the early days. Yodi, we were a small company, and we had a view that that was going to be our biggest moat over time was to see what we could patent. Given that we thought we were doing some pretty cool things on the technology side, everything from um, literally building our own browser, so to speak. Um, uh, and this is back in the day when all of a sudden, JavaScript was coming on the rise, and more more websites were starting to become dynamic. Uh, we were doing uh, um, uh, the equivalent of similar to like what happens say with WebSockets and allowing things to naturally uh, get pushed into the into the web experience. We were basically building that uh, back then. So we thought, okay, well, we should actually create a hefty portfolio because that's going to be one of our biggest moats. In hindsight. Yeah, it was hard. It was painful. It was a lot of time. Uh, me personally, I spent more time with lawyers at one stretch than coding, uh, which which uh, bugged me and, and a lot of my teammates back then. Um, but you know, from Yildi perspective, we did build a pretty hefty uh, patent portfolio over the over the years. That's awesome. Well, uh, so you you mentioned about these things, and actually, one thing that you mentioned was that uh, you had to have a big A round because you had to stage your own infrastructure, which is yeah. I mean, frankly, a whole other podcast about how the <laughs> how the venture community has changed thanks to uh, um, hyperscalers. Uh, yep. But with that in mind, let's talk about you, you and why you're here and PagerDuty and your infrastructure. Sure. Uh, we'd like to know all your deep and dark secrets, so please expose any of your proprietary information. Absolutely. Um, but with that, you know, let's let's kind of let's focus on that. So you you you. But first, you know, Brent loves this subject. Most people tend to love this subject. Matter of fact. We just had kind of a tweet conversation where somebody was like, you know, hey, how'd you get here? And they're like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a literature, you know, I'm an English lit major, and yet they're a fantastic strategist in the tech community. So, right. how did you get to where? How did you get started in tech? Like, what, you know, did somebody yeah. hand you a, a circuit kit and say run away, or where did this all start at? <laughs> uh, I'd like to say it all started when, uh, God, when was it? Maybe I was about 
seven or eight years old, my dad bought bought me an Apple II C, um, and uh, that's when uh, I learned. Uh, I don't know if you guys recall, logo, which is a little turtle. You tell it what to do. You can start to learn what go-to statements were, loops, and whatnot. And then um, I just got enamored with. I was already playing video games and whatnot. And I just got enamored with. Wow! So I can actually tell the computer what to do, and it's going to listen to me. All right, that's pretty cool. And um, then came uh, learning basic, and um, by the time probably call it in the high school years, um, this is when uh, you know websites started getting built and, and HTML. And I actually then started building um, uh, websites for let's say some of the some of the team sports I was on in high school, and that became a thing in the high school. And um, then uh, I played sports most of my life, so I had, for for a while I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player up through you know, third year of college when reality set in and said, not nah, probably going to happen. So what else are we going to do? Um, and I was a CS major at UC San Diego. So, um, you know, while I was there doing a few internships, just got more and more convinced that this was the path and it made a lot of sense and I could still have enough time to, to dabble in sports whenever. Um, and it's been since then pretty much off to the races and kind of, uh, rising through the ranks at most of the companies I've been at, um, uh, probably, I mean, at Yodley, for example, as a first engineer hired off the ground, um, uh, the next company I was teamed up with three awesome business people to help raise some money, build a prototype, moonlight a bit, and get that company off the ground, and so on and so forth. So it's always been kind of an early start for me. Um, whereas coming to PagerDuty, it's probably the the uh, the the latest I want to say I've probably come into a company um, when we were got 2015. So called seven years in, 60 people. And uh, incredible product market fit. Um, that's that's that was the that was the fun part of joining a company like PagerDuty. Absolutely. So uh, clearly, an affinity for uh, coding and development and things yep. like that. And that's kind of been uh, primarily your focus. Um, what what um, I, I guess you know. So we talked about the Series A uh, round funding and having to yep. buy a bunch of infrastructure. <laughs> um, did you have to flex uh, that the infrastructure side as well? I, I did, you know, being early on, it's funny now when everybody talks about DevOps, I'd want to say if you were ever early on in any company trying to get off the ground, you were doing DevOps and you were you were everything. It didn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was everything from, I remember putting on the parka going over at Exodus with screwdrivers and, and F5s and trying to figure out, all right, so if I screwed up here at the top, how am I going to run these cables and which cables go where? Uh, because literally there was like five of us and we needed to get... Um, get something up and running because we just got money and we had to prove that, hey, we're the real deal. Um, and then learning about what, what's a power distribution unit. And then you got the 1U versus the 2U models. And am I doing Dell or HP or whatnot? Um, so, um, you know, back then it was like you didn't have a choice, I want to say. Um, and I, I actually, I, I, I loved that part of it as well. And I've always felt that those that can have some of the, that, the aptitude and the affinity towards the, the operability of software and infrastructure, I think, are help make the world better. Uh, Absolutely. Cool, man. It, it, so, it, it, yeah. Good. Uh, we're going to get say, into that, but go ahead. I was just going to say, ultimately, um, I've always felt it, it helps make things uh, run smoother, and, and that, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that is uh, ringing true. Uh, today and uh, certainly in the past, we're going to talk about it. The one of the articles you wrote on on LinkedIn, specifically around how you've evolved things um, uh, towards an agile uh, methodology at uh, at PagerDuty. But first, let's talk about like so all these all those words, DevOps and agile and and, and modern application development, right? Yeah. The the tagline for uh, the PagerDuty page is digital transformation, availability and performance, no compromise, right? So when I think of digital transformation those buzzwords kind of come to mind. So first of all, talk to us, uh, give us a high level of what that means and what PagerDuty is, is helping customers achieve. Sure. Um, I, I think if we were to take a step back, think about tr transformation is a big word regardless, and it's a big, scary word most of the time. And the reality is, you know, call it maybe 10 years ago, there was agile transformation on the rise. And then there was the, there's the, the advent of the, the, the DevOps movement. And now we've got digital transformation kind of happening almost everywhere. You, you name a company, you name an industry. Um, people are forced more and more to, to figure out how is the world of, of, of infrastructure and technology going to continue to help the business and the brand evolve. And as competition heats up in every sector everywhere, if you're not thinking almost like how do I get to be like those that are natively digital, that have like almost grown up in the last 20 years, 
then I might be left behind. And this is from brick and mortar retail companies to aviation to healthcare, you know, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, where uh, where where PagerDuty fits in in the mold of this and, and how PagerDuty has evolved is ultimately we we are a digital operations management platform for companies across industries. And um, you know, and I can get in the PagerDuty piece if you'd like, or do you want to hold off on that? Yeah, let's go ahead and hear it. Okay. All right. So, you know, the, the way I like to talk about um, where, where PagerDuty is today is, is ultimately we take, you know, instrumentation signals across your entire stack. Uh, that could be your network layer, your applications, your analytics, your databases, all associated infrastructure. And what we do with that, we help engineers in the business understand what's working well and what's not working so well. Such so, that, you know, if there is a potential issue with the technology side that's ultimately in support of delivering, you know, whether it's a customer experience or a brand experience, your, your teams can actually start to understand how to best triage and resolve issues before the customer feels the pain, which is ultimately what every single company wants. Uh, nobody likes it when the customer calls in first. Nobody in technology likes it when the CEO or the head of IT or the head of ops or infra or engineering calls in first and says, did you guys know about this? And someone says, oh, wait, I didn't know. Um, so as that unravels, you know, ultimately your, your, your workforce should, should um, feel the positive impact to their productivity by being able to get ahead of things. And that's where, you know, um, PagerDuty has been able to really um, leverage its foundational strengths for the years to date. And um, most recently, we've been uh, uh, spending quite a bit of time in, in figuring out how, how can data help unlock new, uh, new ways of getting ahead of things. And, um, you know, where we, we, we fit in companies with, you know, you got five people on a company or you got global leaders such as IBM, we, we pretty much fit the mold. Very cool. So you, you talked about, jeez, um, um, I just lost my train of thought here. Uh, oh, so you talked about, you know, basically getting signals, you know, from, uh, I heard basically hardware stacks, but clearly you guys are, are, are wanting to do uh, incident resolution in, in modern infrastructure environments, which is clearly a lot of uh, app development, right? Yes. So yes. how do you integrate those stacks as well? Like, I think infrastructure is probably pretty easy uh, in general. <laughs> The, the next step is like, all right, application. Let's bring those in. So talk about yeah, that. there's um, there's quite a, quite an awesome ecosystem we've built over the years where we have nearly 225, well, over 225 distinct uh, integrations that we call already out of the box. And and ultimately, what that means is whether it's a uh, um, call it a like you know there's there's the Datadog, Signal FX, uh, App Dynamics, New Relic, um, uh, Arc Light on the HP side, you know. There, there's there's a gamut of, of things that people are now deploying and have been for, for several years into their quote-unquote modern environments in order to be able to have the right sets of eyes and ears on things. And when you get up and running with PagerDuty, for example, you're going to attach, let's say, your, it could be, let's say, your global authentication service. That that represents not only a technical construct, but also that, that has some business aspect to it, right? It's doing something for the business. And so um, being able to, Get those three, get those uh, other integrations, so to speak, up and running. You can go on a page of duty, two clicks. Say I'm going to bring in Datadog data. Go back on Datadog, click the page of duty link, which is already there. And now, before you know it, you're you're basically swapping integration keys, and voila! Before you know it, um, data is coming over the wire. And then our responsibility is then to uh, basically uh, aggregate that information for you start to correlate it and help it make sense so that when it matters the most, it's right there at the tip of your fingertips and you're, you're not left guessing and trying to figure out where all the needles may be. So I know you mentioned that you listened to a couple of the, the podcasts just to kind of get an idea of, of um, how goofy Brent and I are. Um, but um, you just mentioned SignalFX uh, and we uh -huh. actually had them on. Was that one of the ones that you listened to? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, it's a... Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of a, a partner competitor, right? I mean, they kind of a cooperator in a way. They do a uh, de de definitely much more, much more partner. Um, okay. I, I would say the reason being is that, you know, we don't regard ourselves as, as a monitoring solution or, or a massive visualization engine at, at the end of the day, right? Um, we rely on partners like uh, SignalFX for our own infrastructure. Um, and what we do is we, we help bring information that, that starts with SignalFX where something hit a threshold, trigger that, make the trigger happen. Well, now you got to get the communication arm going, talk to PagerDuty, and as that happens, we're able to also bring in small, let's say, graphical snippets to help enrich that, that alert or that event, 
so that again you get more contextual awareness and understanding and again as an engineer i'm a big believer if you can stay in flow and in context as much as possible there's a better chance you're going to be able to resolve what needs to be resolved quickest that's awesome yeah they uh um, I, I was curious your thoughts on their, you know, their podcast and their kind of like uh, description of their business in comparison to, you know, your portion of the business, right? Because it's there's no one single way to solve your alerting no. and monitoring experience. Yeah, th th there isn't. Um, and if if anyone pretends that, I, I'm not a big believer in that. In that there is a single pane of glass because I don't think they manufacture TVs big enough anymore. Um, so th there has to be more, more. I, I like. I've always thought about like contextual awareness, situational contextual awareness, and unless you can be kind of the, the Switzerland of the hub in the middle, bringing in all these great sources and helping to aggregate and correlate that, um, you're 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 playing a very important yet a a certain very specific role in that in that in that part of it. So if we roll back a little bit, um, mm -hmm. you know, from when I consumed PagerDuty, where it was really very much up-down type stuff, obviously not the deep integration of today, and frankly, the industry didn't exist like that. Um, you know, they probably had a very distinct infrastructure. Maybe they even had to build their own and things <laughs> like that. Um, and, and clearly, they've made a shift, right? So um, yep. you have made a shift. Yeah. So yep. when you came in roughly two and a half years ago, mm -hmm. was the what was the environment like? And the questions I have was like, was it uh, in a point where it was kind of ready? It needed its own transformation. Uh, you know, were, was there were there a lot of like uh, set it and forget it architectures because you just wanted it to work, and, and you know you've had to shift those things. So, right. what did it look like then, and what does it look like now? Yeah, um, you know, two and a half years ago, we were about twenty five percent as as big as we are in terms of size of the business, um, and uh, and even a uh, almost employee base, almost <laughs> almost in lockstep. Um, so, you know, I think uh, when I got it, I mean, Pedro did did. did did an amazing job of of being being ahead of the curve in terms of um, being ready for the for the storm that that's coming off the coast, so to speak. Um, in that we we had a fairly modern I want to say modern subjective term, but but modern um, stack built together. Right, we had um, we have a uh, three three regions that that are active, active, active. We don't have a warm or cold failover. Or we we don't talk in terms of high availability for us. It's continuous availability. Um, uh, we've got um, heavy investment in 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 cloud. Um, we, we don't we don't run or or, or manage our own stuff. Um, uh, there there were though you know choices that are made in point in time that I'm a big believer that you have to be in a constant reinvestment um, model within technology. And if you're not, things will rot and they'll bite you. So you want to the technology order, you want to always be figuring out where can you find the most leverage the business and sometimes you're going to have to then say you know I need to be left alone for a little bit so I go and reinvest and make the world a little better and buy some more time um, we um, we we have undone I want to say or, or re redo some some areas of, of the infrastructure um, we continue to be um, uh, you know we've got a, a bit of a polyglot in place uh, we have uh, we have Ruby and JavaScript that that power the web we have uh, uh, MySQL via Percona Extra DB um, in order to get some get some availability leverage there. We have uh, Cassandra spanning the WAN across locations. Um, we have uh, Elixir that's more on the rise from a technology perspective. We're bringing in, or we have been bringing over the last eighteen months or so, a lot more Kafka for distributed message uh, distribution, um, which has been very helpful for us to be able to scale, especially across us being active, active, active. Um, it's far simpler if you're just in one location and you're trying to get across availability zones, for example. But um, our mantra is um, we we tend to take uh, reliability to another another uh, another degree. In that, uh, my view has always been coming to PagerDuty. We have to be at our best when our customers may not be. Um, so uh, everything from we have uh, resiliency and and redundancy across um, you know telecommunications providers that we use, and we look to see where they hosted. So if they're all hosted in U.S. East one, we don't like that. We like to see redundancy and coverage globally, and we will intelligently route based on where you're coming from, what what's going on in some of those other regions that we can see via our customer base, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's been a it's been a constant. Uh, I want to say uh, I, I think my my crew here, Pedro, knows that changes the norm, and and that that does get you know technologists pretty excited as long as it's meant to map to you know what what's it going to do for the business. Yeah, absolutely. So the active, active, active. Uh, you know, in doing some research. 
Uh, you guys look like you're deployed in Adibus and Azure, uh-huh. and you've got. And the reason you're doing this is this: you've got this multi-million-dollar insurance policy uh, for you know being down, right? So you've got Correct. this always-on guarantee. Um, you know, so so the first the first part of that question was, you know, you're in multiple public cloud providers. Um, talk to us about the, the the choice between those and how you yep. um, are, are moving workloads or keeping them um, in different places and and why. Sure. Um, you know, the the way back, I want to say maybe it was when the company first started, we had just the one region in U.S. East one um, in Amazon. And um, I think it was 2011. Uh, I can't remember if that was when the lightning storm hit Virginia and it, and it, and it, uh, it kind of caused some turbulence in the, <laughs> in the world. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, Netflix customers were, were all over tw- the Twitter sphere and, uh, you know, PageDuty also was, was down and out. And that's when the founders decided, you know what, this doesn't work. We're going to have to find something else. And at the time, given that we need to be, we need to have some close physical proximity for data to have that natural, that, that eventual consistency in our environment, we need to find uh, locations that were close enough where within, in our, in our world, within 25 milliseconds, we're able to see that consistency take place. So we have uh, two regions on the west with AWS. We have Azure because we needed a third one, and, and AWS doesn't offer uh, a third, uh, third location. But we also were, were pretty keen on the multi-provider front, given that there, there ought to be some aspects of strengths that we can leverage uh, across uh, the providers. Um, with that said... There's, a, there's an engineering challenge on that because we have to break things down to lowest common denominators because we can't afford to have pure lock-in across the board. Um, and so from our tooling and other parts of our infra, we have to make sure that it does work across cloud providers. So there's a, there's a bit of an extra ta- tax on that that we've assumed as a cost of doing our business. Yeah, is there any benefit to um, being able to, I mean, obviously to me, if you're monitoring somebody's uh, technology that may be on or off-prem, right, any part yep. of their stack, um, is there any uh, any value to locality? In other words, you're monitoring in the same locale as they are to get uh, timeliness of alerts, or is it the opposite, where you actually prefer to be as far away from them as possible in order to kind of um, be outside of what their whatever their blast radius may be? I mean, it, it's I, I would say maybe a little bit more of the latter, but you know, we we only control what we control. Um, one thing is, um, you know, when by the time we we dispatch an alert, we're, we are dependent on on on, a, on thirteen different telecommunications providers globally, so. Um, now, if it's push notification going to mobile, you have Google and, and Apple. If it's a uh, voice, we have a number of providers. If it's a uh, SMS, they're yet another, sometimes same, sometimes different providers. Um, but we do have, we are the only player in the market that, that puts a, a five minute SLA guarantee. Um, and we stand by that. So we have two, two tiers of SLAs. One is on our general uptime and availability. And then the other one is around our, what we call our deliverability, because we do know how important it is to get the right info in near real time to the right people. So along those same lines, um, you know, I read about Failure Friday at Page yeah, yeah. What is that, and, and why are you doing it? Yeah, so um, Failure Friday started uh, before my time, and it was one of the cooler things I learned about when I was uh, when I was uh, interviewing at PagerDuty. Um, ultimately, what it is, it's it's our our way of taking uh, the the world of chaos engineering that 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 Netflix put um, started to pioneer, and thinking about well. If, if we're claiming to be the most reliable and resilient platform on the planet, then how are we going to know? We're not going to rely on our customers to, to, to tell us that. We need to empirically and objectively know that we are we can withstand as many failure scenarios as, as possible. So some of the engineers got together and just happened to be on a Friday, coined Failure Friday, and said, we're going to take an hour to two hours every Friday and pick a failure scenario and surprise ourselves. So that one, we we figure out how well do we flex our, our response muscle? How well do we actually physically via humans react and 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 deal with the instant response? But then also, what are the hot spots in our architecture that we need to create a list of to-dos and figure out um, how to best prioritize, prioritize those and make that better? Um, and literally, it happens every Friday. Um, we don't disclose the time it happens, but uh, I... I I don't recall too often when customers have noticed, and we've done things where we'll we'll introduce, let's say, a jitter into the network jitter in the environment, just see how does how does our uh, eventual consistency take place. We'll do things where we will uh, we have a bunch of uh, chaos bots that we've written in the back end that are constantly running, but we will run what we call a chaos roulette, and what that is is basically someone will run a command, and at random, a a single node or a cluster, some we're going to inject some kind of failure. And the team is then sitting in a war room, ready to react. And uh, you know, a couple Friday, actually, 
two Fridays in uh, in late July and August, we took down an entire uh, data center. Um, so we went down two out of three, and nobody noticed, and we brought it back up within the hour. Wow! So so we 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 take a lot of pride in that, and um, and it it is a part of our part of our product offering. It's part of our business. Um, we we have everyone from the CEO to our head of marketing to our head of sales, you know, uh, giving high fives via Slack and whatnot when these things happen. Um, and we tout this stuff to to the market, and we think the the world's a better place if if all companies start to think about failure and and resiliency in in that regard. Because it's not like you're not going to go down. It's not like things aren't going to go bump in the night. And knowing how resilient you are is is more important than anything else. Yeah, that's very interesting. So you said you you built your own chaos bots. So my question for you is. Did you did you do it from scratch, or did you leverage like Netflix OSS's kind of Simeon Army framework and, and just bolt onto that, or what'd you do there? Yeah, we, we leveraged Simeon, um, and uh, like internally we coined it as as Chaos Cat. Um, for some reason, a lot of my engineers love to put cats in the pictures and, and whatnot. <laughs> um, so uh, we 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 do slides. People will present, and literally it's like ten slides of cats, and then there's a story behind it, and unfolds quite nicely. So. We have Chaos Cat running, um, and uh, it's it's uh, yeah. We we didn't we didn't try and reinvent the wheel. We were heavily inspired by by uh, by our friends over at Netflix, um, and uh, and uh, we we thought best to adapt it for our needs, but yet still keeping those first principles in mind. Yeah. So speaking of inspiration, uh, one of the things that Brent found with his uh, Google Foo uh, was the idea that kind of Spotify's culture impacted the the PagerDuty philosophy. So. Uh, we'd love to have you kind of explain that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I got to PagerDuty, we were about 60 people, 30 in engineering, uh, split between Toronto and San Francisco, a little bit heavier in San Francisco. And um, small company, yet um, we were we're having a tough time trying to figure out how to how to manage expectations for ourselves and the business, ultimately. So, uh, you know, it wasn't too... Uh, too out of the norm if someone were to say from the business side, someone in sales, for example, would say, hey, so when do we think XYZ will be done and we can start to sell it? And the engineer might be, or the engineer might reply back and say, well, when it's done. Well, yeah, but, but when, when can I sell it? Well, when, when it's done. That didn't really work. And we tend to take in a fairly, we tend to, we were tend to take a fairly uh, sequential approach to almost everything. And therefore, we weren't um, moving fast enough, in, in my opinion. And, um, being part of much larger, here's the agile transformation piece coming in at, at a place like PayPal, for example, where it's across 14,000 people, and seeing some of the, the merits behind that, um, being anchoring change at other companies, one of the first things I did in the first, called 60 days, was um, help take what was starting with, with, with the agile philosophy inside PagerDuty and ultimately crank it to 11 more than anything else. And um, what we did is, again, not reinventing wheel, but Several of us and people that had hired in knew knew the Spotify paper and knew the follow-ups on the Spotify paper about how they approach things. Um, we didn't copy it to a T, but we took that as again a baseline reference around you know have these independent pods and have them control their own destiny. Um, have well-formed teams that are that are more oriented towards full-stack team deliverables versus individual things, and um, that's what we did. And we rolled that out. I want to say early 2016. At the same time, we were somewhat of a central operational-minded place where we had a central operations team. As, uh, as ironic as that may be for a company like PagerDuty touting DevOps, we, we worked a little different. That bothered me and several other people quite a bit. And so we, we imploded that and said, hey, this is great and all, but we're going to make it all fully distributed ops. So everyone's going to own everything. You code it, you, uh, you ship it, you own it. And um, you know, that, that wasn't relatively new in the industry, but it was in some respects somewhat new at inside PagerDuty. Awesome. So um, clearly, you know, you, utilizing the, the kind of Spotify methodology or, or I guess team building to design your team internally. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you had iterations on that. Yep, yep. Um, talk about the uh, iterations on the product itself, right? So yeah. if we if we look at how the product was initially um, uh, designed and developed. Mm -hmm. If it was a monolith, if it was microservices yeah, yeah, approach, sure. and and, and kind of how have you how have you evolved since technology has yep. changed? Yeah, um, you know, day one we had three awesome founders that that started building and building and building, and then before you knew it, they had a real business. And I've always looked at if I step into a place that uh, has a monolith and it's got a business that's growing, that's a good sign. Um, and um, you know, PagerDuty, um, I would say, still has a bit of a 
bit of a monolith footprint. Um, we are that, that monolith consists of a, a Ruby on Rails with uh, with MySQL, um, and uh, I want to say back in 2013, so a couple years before my arrival, there was there was the beginnings of a movement to say, you know what, we should start to rip part of this apart for, for some specific reasoning. So what happened was, um, you know, uh, where we have a kind of a it's a pipeline architecture. Um, when it comes to events coming in, ingest it, uh, inspect it, correlate it, et cetera, and ultimately get it primed to be dispatched out if, if needed in terms of getting that, that notification out to the end user. Uh, that was all embedded inside the, the, the web application, which was also responsible for serving up pages and fielding API calls and being our uh, uh, embedded was our uh, internal admin view of things and you know so on and so forth. So NGS started ripping things out into more of a microservice oriented architecture for specific things like uh, well you know the notifications don't or the events don't have to come into web they can actually go over here on the left and that could then be managed separately. Um, that's when we then started investing in Cassandra as our distributed databases choice um, especially in, in order to manage our pipeline which is very uh, write heavy. As things come in just write as fast as you can dump it into Cassandra. Um, and get Cassandra then to actually then one of the strengths is to be able to have that actually be able to communicate across the WAN. Um, and, um, you know, I want to say I, I don't think I don't think we'll ever be done ripping the monolith apart because there's some advantages of having a monolith in terms of being able to modularize some parts of the monolith. Um, and, uh, you know, interesting thing is, you know, you guys probably know this full well, you introduce change in the environment. Quite often it's not it's not so much that the grass is all that greener. You just introduce new and different problems. And, um, you know, managing and operating a, a service-oriented, even microservice-based architecture that's fully distributed, starts to look like spider web, that has different challenges than getting a monolith to scale. Um, I, I, will, I will humbly say that, you know, our monolith is probably our most stable part of our stack in terms of uh, the operational load that we take on internally to to continuously rev and keep things uh, going within within the world of technology. So, from a like a development and feature perspective, and you know, mm -hmm. is the that that availability typically yeah. when you have something like a monolith, um, you know, it can be you know, there's certain features that have been built into it. It is doing what it does. It just gets <laughs> bigger or is spread yeah. out multiple in you know kind of multiple places. Um, do you have the same iteration cycle and the same development and feature cycle on that kind of central monolith as you do those kind of uh, edge, you know, new services yeah. and microservices, or are they developed at a different pace and it's not really changing that much? So the the, the development cycles, the the iterations are all the same. They're two weeks uh, for everything we do because I'm a big fan of breaking things down and breaking things down, getting to the five whys and break them down again. Otherwise, you start to kind of get lost, and before you know it, you start you end up just never really getting to any any semblance of, of a notion of being done for, for whatever your, your criteria might be. Mm -hmm. So everything goes in two week chunks. However, the, the pace of delivery into the public is vastly different. You know, it's not uncommon that we are deploying so so inside Pager we deploy nearly on average about close to about fifty times a day across our infra. Um, so we have a heavy reliance on internal tooling for continuous integration, continuous deployment. Um, you merge to master and you're watching a the, the next 5% of traffic getting hit, if that canary's okay, then you're then seeing your your fruits of labor get out to the public, and then you're still continuously to monitor and, and make sure things are well. Um, when we're rewriting and reinvesting, let's say, moving from, let's say, um, a, a database acting as our, as, our, as our queue internally, for example, and moving into the world of, let's say, a distributed messaging infrastructure like that, that's powered by Kafka, that, that goes live at a very different pace. Um, and, you know, for example, we've been working on uh, gradually creating more asynchronous um, message flow internally for ourselves for a better part of like 15 months. Um, and we're probably maybe about halfway there um, because one thing we have to do and manage is, um, you know, we have nearly 10,000 customers. Um, they're all hosted across common infrastructure. And I like to coin it like uh, what I tell, let's say, my boss or CEO and the board sometimes and, and others that we literally are responsible for having that 747 in flight and swapping all four engines without losing altitude and or speed. And so, you know, we don't do scheduled downtime. Everything's rolling live. We spend a lot of uh, time and effort in keeping things hidden and or um, almost uh, controlled, I want to say, via slicing things up via traffic patterns and or traffic volume. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we, we here at Peju, we have the fun uh, privilege of being able to, you know, either dog food or drink your own champagne, however which way you look at it, our own product. And so when something hits the fan, we, we typically know about it really quick. We can easily fix forward or, or roll back again with our investment in, in tooling. Absolutely. So <clears throat> that's, you know, deploying 50 times a day to, to customers for, for features and bugs and fixes and things like that. That's one thing. On the other side of that is, um, you know, trying to do design implementation with, mm -hmm. you know, maybe moving buttons here or there and doing sure. A-B testing and, yep. and doing things like that. So are you doing those things and, and how are you implementing and monitoring and um, have, you, have you seen that it's, it's valuable if you are in fact doing it? Yeah, um, we, we do do quite a bit of A-B testing, um, especially in our, uh, in our first, what we call our first user experience. So you might have uh, clicked the link and you want to try PagerDuty out. What do we show you first? What do we get you to do first? Uh, we, we spend quite a bit of time uh, looking at that. And, um, and uh, we, we don't, we don't it's, you know, we haven't gotten to a point where we, we felt we needed to, you know, uh, A-B-X-Y-Z, A-B-X-Y-Z all the time. Um, what we do quite a bit of time is that, you know, we have, we have this, this awesome customer base that has a, a maniacal uh, uh, love-slash-hate relationship with us in that uh, they love that we can tell them when it's time to act on something right here, right now. They potentially don't like it if it's happening at 2.30 in the morning and, and they're in the middle of their, of their REM sleep. But um, when we engage with a select set of customers, they're more than happy to, to early access or beta with us as, all, as well. So we, we do spend a lot of time in early access and beta where for that customer, we'll, we'll, we'll turn a few things live, see how they like it, what data do, they, do we see, what experience do they see. Um, and then if that starts to fit well across the board, then we then unleash it to the world. Cool. So, so you've mentioned tons of, uh, you know, obviously um, open source type componentry, right? So the Kafka's mm -hmm. and the Cassandra's and, uh, you know, the name, the list goes on. You know, yep. people can roll back uh, 25 minutes if they want to hear it. <laughs> um, but uh, in, so now my curiosity is obviously you're doing a lot of things to make those work for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you making uh, customizations to those or, you know, and or writing code on top of them? If you're making customizations to them, is PagerDuty then contributing those back to open source? Do you all have a belief in open source and kind of into the community? Or, you know, how does that work for you all? Yeah, um, on, the, on the customization front, you know, fortunately, we haven't had to do too much for ourselves. Um, we, um, I think early on, had taken a stance that um, let's, let's not worry so much about some of those things that just aren't core competency for us. We, we're we're going to believe that others are going to be continuously solving that. Let's let's focus on the things that we need to do for the business, more or less, like right now. And that's kind of the stage we had been at as a company. Um, you know, fast forward a few years later, now we're starting to see um, some some more opportunities on the rise. Um, you know, we have had made some uh, some contributions back, for example, to the to the Ember community on the on the front end in the world of JavaScript as far as frameworks go. Um, we've made a few contributions back into Cassandra. Um, we have made um, uh, a few contributions back into uh, Zookeeper, um, but it's not necessarily a, a core thing for us. But that doesn't say that we're not big believers in it as well. We just um, haven't been able to get to that point where we. Uh, we can literally like afford the right amount of time to, to take that on. But we are, we are massive believers in that if it's not core competency, don't try and build it yourself. There's no reason to in today's day and age. It doesn't, it doesn't um, do enough for the business in my mind. Um, and there are other companies that are much better situated to, to take care of that, and, and we're happy to reap, reap the benefits of it. And we feel like, well, from our product offering, we help do our part as well. Yeah, so... Um, Everything that we've talked about open source, uh, we have not talked about one of them that is probably the, the hottest topic right now, or one of the hottest topics, which is containers. Mm -hmm. uh, how are you leveraging them today um, and integrating them into kind of your CI/CD pipeline? Yeah, um, on the on the container front, um, you know, there. What we have been leveraging for is being able to, as we've been hiring engineers, be able to have more uh, well-tuned localized environments. Um, creates a ton of productivity uplift and, and that that's been the case especially when we're dealing with monolith plus microservices plus other things that you may not know a whole lot about i don't want to spend the time trying to configure and bring that up in my local or even like in a in a in a, in a cloud-based integration environment i'd rather just just basically get it and and move on with it already um so we started with with that with with the world of uh, containers with docker 
Then what we've started to move towards, we are uh, putting more and more of our new services that are that are um, uh, developed from scratch into containers and then getting those out into the production environment. So in our environment, for example, um, we we're just looking at this at the end of July, roughly about 20% of our of our services slash infra is is uh, sitting in 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 uh, Docker based containers. Very cool. What about scheduling engine? Uh, scheduling engine. We've had <laughs> talk about Polyglot. Here's where the fun begins. Um, so um, we um, we had kind of two camps start to form. We have uh, probably about uh, probably about a half a dozen services running with uh, with Mesosphere, um, which has actually worked quite well. Um, it's in my mind fairly tried and true. Um, you know, for some of us, you know, I have a number of engineers that come from the the eBay PayPal side of the house. I was at PayPal, leveraging a lot of uh, eBay infra, and uh, you know, there's a lot of bits and parts of the of the company using Mesos, and that just worked well along with Kafka. So I've been inundated with Kafka for 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 a number of years. For me, it wasn't new. For the company, it was a little bit more new. Um, but um, but uh, we also then started looking very heavily into, into HashiCorp and found what they're doing really, really interesting because I think the approach they've taken seems to have the, the developer much more in mind versus everybody else. And uh, given what's been happening in the community between who identifies as a developer versus this kind of person or that person, I feel like ultimately we're, we're, all, we're all developers in some construct. And uh, HashiCorp's done a really interesting job by creating a, a portfolio suite that um, we've been uh, like we've been using Vault for better part of a year. Um, uh, Nomad, we've got a couple of services now running uh, under Nomad, and we've been uh, basically testing that out to see how well that works for us compared to Mesosphere. Um, um, uh, so um, you know, t Terraform is another one we're starting to look at um, as well. In that, you know, some of us kind of put our old CS hats on, like, huh, it kind of resembles almost like a like a compiler of some sort and it's, it's doing some interesting stuff. So maybe that, that is a better way to, 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 for, for all of us to, to work and coexist in, in the crazy environments that get built out. Um, you know, there's, there's talk internally as, as I'm sure many companies go through. What about Kubernetes? Why, why aren't we doing that? You know, at some point I kind of view as like, at some point, a lot of these things are going to catch up to themselves one way or another. And uh, it's almost like we will ultimately get to a point where we're just going to choose and move on already. Yeah, what I find probably the most interesting about this conversation is you've you've clearly chosen a path for a public cloud service provider, huh. um, and you talked about trying to remain as as call it um, you know agnostic as possible yes. to yes. all the underlying or not the underlying but the other services that they offer, yeah. right? Um, so like their container scheduling and their database and th these types of things, uh, it's, it's very interesting. The more and more people that I talk to, mm -hmm. uh, what I'm hearing is, is that like, right? let's, let's use it for IaaS, which it does fantastically well. And, um, it's, it's very easy to scale and you have mm -hmm. that agility, but let's be careful <laughs> and, and, and not baking ourselves too far into this thing. And I think, you know, that's basically what you're explaining to us right now is there's a lot of stuff out there and let's just be careful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's like things change every three or four years anyways. Um, and I like to think that we should be eyes wide open. If there's a menu of options, take a look at them, but um, we don't necessarily have to uh, uh, get, get too far on any one bandwagon too fast. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Brent's been talking about all these, all these tools and, you know, obviously your, your operational tools and operational functions, things like that. Uh, one of the things is, as you look at things like distributed databases, um, we're, we're starting to see a huge trend, you know, between Amazon and Google. Uh, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I honestly don't know where Azure is at with this, but I'm sure they've probably made an announcement of a geo distributed database that handles all the geos all at once. Uh, some of the problems that you've solved with things like Cassandra and mm -hmm. all those other things is that, uh, again, those are kind of provider specific. They're hyperscaler specific. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that a, is that a consideration for you or, you know, part of this kind of like, maybe, maybe not as well as a risk because it's a bit of a lock-in, or where do you see that? There, there's the risk of lock-in, um, which um, I, I'm, I'm somewhat, I, I am fairly sensitive to. Uh, you know, when I think of lock-in, I also put my business hat on, <laughs> right, and think about, well, hey, there's a, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a margin hit one way or another in, 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 our, in our cost of goods sold department um, with, with any kind of investment like this. And if you get, I feel like if, if there's too much lock-in, 
we, we just have to be somewhat cognizant of and be intentional about what we're locking in with. So, for example, you know, we do have some parts of our product that do leverage um, Amazon's RDS. And um, that, that was an intentional choice because we wanted time to market and we didn't want to take on some more operational load at the time. Right? We didn't feel comfortable doing that as an organization. Um, when it comes to uh, the world of distributed databases, um, the more that these providers can do for the community, I feel the better because there aren't that many companies that can afford to invest the right amount of uh, just, just intellectual capital and, and workforce into mastering how to operate, let's say, Cassandra across the WAN. It's, it's, it's not really out of the box. You learn a lot through failure. <laughs> you learn a lot. And we've done, we've had engineers present uh, at VelociConf and at Strange Loop about everything we learned about all the failures with Cassandra across the WAN. And um, it's, it's, it's painful and taxing and their fatigue can set in. So the more that these providers can do, you know, I'm, I, 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 uh, I'm looking forward to, to looking at it. Um, but, you know, I, I, we do talk about internally, you know, I like thinking think of things in terms of leverage for the organization. So if we were locked into one provider, we would have a material amount more leverage for other things we could be spending time and money on. There's no doubt about it. But right now, it doesn't seem like it's in the best interest of, of, of us here at, at PagerDuty. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's uh, Hopefully, they'll contribute it to a point where everybody can use it instead of just only using yeah. it in their cloud. Um, so another thing you mentioned, you know, the whole you know, kind of trial by fire and, you know, the, the things that you had to learn um, mm -hmm. from some of the things you've had to do. Managing a, uh, you know, essentially mission critical, always continu continuously available platform at the level that you have to, right? Like you said, mm -hmm. you have to be awake when other people fall asleep and you're mm -hmm. not allowed to fall asleep, right? Right, right. Um, there's some lessons learned that I think you probably could share with people that are just like, wow, those are things I never had to expect to learn, uh, but also really cool lessons. Um, I'd love to hear some of those if you have, you know, one or Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, um, it's a... When I first uh, came to PageD, it was it was a little different for me coming from, let's say, the, the payments, financial services side of the house, where these are big, distributed, high-volume transactional systems in their own right in, in that regard. Um, but having the philosophy where we have to, you know, be, be at our best when, when, when others may not be, and, you know, being able to, to deal with the types of usage patterns that we see. So, for example, it's not like retail where, you know, gearing up for Black Friday through, like, January 5th or so, you're going to see big spikes and, you know, get nearly 50% of your revenue happening there. We, we have to plan and, and be ready for that event storm for maybe when, unfortunately, let's say S3 has a, has a massive outage and all of our customers are yelling via alerts and whatnot, their machines alert. We have to handle that so that we can then put them into the know because for, for a lot of our customers, we are their knock, right? We are their eyes and ears and, and we take that very seriously. You know, the, the, the best lessons we learn, honestly, are a lot through our Failure Friday scenarios. Um, that's why we, we are such big believers in that, in being able to understand, you know, what does it take to become resilient? So, for example, we, um, we took down a third of our infra a couple weeks ago, and um, it wasn't perfect. Some things hicked up. What we found out was that some of our, um, some of our uh, load balancer configs sitting at the place that we took it down for part of our event ingestion pipeline wasn't configured in exactly the same way as the other two. And um, that wasn't readily obvious at first. And some of the engineers had to actually, in real time, come up to speed on, wait, wait, so what? how do I look at load balancer config? What, what does that look like? And now that we have so many more things that are software defined, you're able to actually see uh, less resistance to that. And you get kind of the, the, the human pieces starting to come together a lot faster, especially when you're in that moment of need and it is team first, resolve right now at hand. Um, we, uh, we put a, a, a post out to the community probably about two years ago where we found a, uh, an issue with Zookeeper that was plaguing us left and right. And um, we contributed that back out to the, to the community. And um, you know we wouldn't have found that unless we were harping on those failure scenarios, right? And, um, and it had to do with, um, with a particular version of Zookeeper married with a particular version of um, of, uh, I can't remember if it was, I don't think it was CentOS, I can't remember which, which variation, but um, that, that those two coming together and then all of a sudden you see all these posts saying, oh, I've been dealing with that, oh, I've been dealing, I've been dealing with that. It's like, oh, well, that's great to find. Um, those are some of the, the biggest examples that, that come to mind, but for us, it's literally, every day we're always looking out for, 
for these things. It is it is a, a bit of a I won't lie. There are those moments where, and I take a step back, or after I go meet with the customer, hang out with the engineers. You know, we're essentially running a tier zero like service on the uh, in in the public sphere, and that that has its a uh, terrifying component to it because of our uh, of our angst around. Basically, we we are not allowed to be down, um, and so we do we do engineer for it, we do design for it. Our product people know that there is a investment required for that, so there's almost no no such thing as free lunches, no matter what the feature set might be, because everything has to scale a certain way for us. So, Tim, uh, we, we're coming to the the top of the hour here, and uh, we want to be respectful of your time. So, uh, from from the conversation today with regard to PagerDuty, the products, uh, or anything really, is there anything that we missed that um, you want to you know, bring to light? Yeah, I think the one thing um, to, to bring light is that um, as what, what we're constantly learning in, in the industry is that we were talking about the, the digital transformation piece. And there are companies that are struggling with how to figure out how to modernize everything from systems to also to, to how they need to work. And, you know, what we found a, a lot is that, you know, based on the product offering, kind of the platform offering we have, where we, we help not just get help detect something quickly, but but ultimately mobilizing and orchestrating larger and larger of armies of people to come together in with a uh, with a uh, with an established way of of uh, working in order to resolve that and remediate as quickly as possible is not an easy thing for companies to take on. So we like to think about it that here we are helping to get people on a common language. So the emotions come out and you're able to 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 uh, very predictably get the right people at the right time in the right situation with all the right info. Um, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, a few months ago, we, we released uh, response.pagerduty.com, which is our contribution. I forgot to mention, but it's our contribution back to the open source community. And what this is, this is our incident response documentation for how we manage not just the technical side of the house, but our entire commercial business in a response scenario that we have adapted from, from FEMA. Um, we had, uh, we, uh, I like to visualize it, you know, there's Apollo 13, Ed Harris, uh, with the, with, uh, with the tan, off tan, uh, off white, uh, vest, manning mission control screens and people. Our view is this is how you should do it. Strive to be like this, but you can't just write it down and put it in a binder. You have to practice and live this. And that's again, where the failure Friday scenarios come in because things are changing and, um, uh, you know, I think uh, all, all organizations benefit from from uh, approaching failure and resistancy, uh, resiliency uh, as a uh, as a rite of passage versus like the the oh crap what do we do now? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thanks for that, Tim. So, uh, when and where can we find you or your company next? Um, so we've got actually. Uh, <clears throat> thanks for that. Uh, we have uh, our second annual industry conference called PagerDuty Summit, <clears throat> September. 6th and 7th uh, at Pier 27 San Francisco. We got an awesome speaker lineup, keynote from Adrian Cockroft, um, AWS, the cloud connoisseur from Netflix, on and on. Um, we've got um, leaders of all sorts um, speaking on panels, um, CTO of Gap. Um, uh, we've got uh, uh, senior engineers from, from Slack and Twilio speaking about how they operate in this crazy world. And our view is like that's a forum, not for like PagerDuty to shove product down, people's world but we're going to bring the community together so that we can learn together from from the best of the best um and and that's how we approach a lot of things via via our community and we we take a lot of pride in in the our role inside the the technical and and kind of the growing business community as well very cool uh and so also you're you're, you're public out there you've written blogs and you've got twitter so how can we find you on the on the social sphere yeah, uh, twitter and linkedin are, are two two power plays there um and then um uh, I've got some speaking slots coming up uh, over at uh, reInvent, Amazon's uh, annual conference uh, over in uh, over in Vegas. Um, so we'll start to be posting about that as well. Awesome. And then the final thing we like to ask, and, and this does not have to be industry-related, and mm -hmm. uh, most of the time it's not, are our, our, our book <laughs> recommendations. What are you reading right now that uh, you like to get out to the, to the listeners? Yeah, I, uh, I got on a little bit of a business book bandwagon lately, and one thing um, uh, we've been reading about uh, internally at Pagey across our leadership circle is um, <clears throat> Jeffrey Moore's Zone to Win. And it's a really interesting take on how to orient yourself towards um, – just planning for the next wave of innovation where most companies are always stuck in today and today and today because you got to hit your number, you got to hit this next metric. But uh, basically, in a methodical approach, carving out um, 
ways to be investing for is things that are two, three years down the line. And for companies like PagerDuty that aren't the IBMs or the Facebooks and Googles, this is always a challenge, right? Um, we, we don't have 20,000 engineers. We have 90, and 90 responsible for powering the surface, build new features, and oh, also, you know, how are we going to matter in three to five years from now? we got to start that investment cycle now. So that, that's become a top-of-mind favorite that I would uh, happily recommend to almost anybody that's working anywhere. Great. Well, thanks for that. The I guess you kind of just prompted another question, but what are you planning for the next three to five years? What is that thing that you're focused on that's hopefully going to continue to keep you relevant? Uh, so what's on the horizon for you? Uh, the, the horizon, the more the immediate horizon that we're going to be announcing it at our summit conference, but in the, in the next 12 to 18 months, a lot of it has to do with data. For eight years, we've been basically an event management solution behind the scenes, uh, collecting uh, eight years worth of machine data. We also have an immense amount of data on the people side. How do people react? How do they do in incidents? Who's getting fatigued? How well is this team doing? You know what? They, they've been on call for three times, and they keep getting slammed. So your people and your info probably need to, to get some more attention. So leveraging data, kind of the, the machine side of the world, but also the, the, there's a human data aspect of this that we want to bring together such that we can continue to help suggest ways for, for teams and, and uh, workforces to make better decisions in order to help, again, make their lives a lot better. We're big believers if we can give time back to people via our product and service offering, give it back to the engineer, give it back to the business, then the, the, the brand and the customer itself benefits. Awesome. Very cool. We look forward to seeing that and hearing more about it uh, in the coming months. So with that, we're going to shut down the hot aisle today. Uh, Tim, thanks again for being on. We had a great time with you. My name is Brent Piotti. I'm Brian Carpenter. Tim, thanks. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Tim. All right.